are now listening to the Pat's Pulpit Podcast. All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Pat's Pulpit Podcast. An exhausted Alex Shane here, here with Rich Hill. Man, Rich, I'll tell you, it's been a while since the Patriots played one of those nail biters in prime time. Are you all right? You alive? Did you make it through? So, so normally at this point in the podcast, I make some sort of pithy joke about how, oh, what, what game? I don't even know what's going on. I pretend like it was no big thing. <laughs> this is the first time in a while where it feels like I have more gray hairs after watching that. That was unbelievable. That was probably one of the most exciting non-playoff games of the Bill Belichick era. I can't really think of too many others that don't involve some sort of miraculous comeback. From start to finish, this was just fascinating football to watch. And I'm, I'm, just, I'm just so happy that the Patriots came out on top after exhausting all of that emotional energy. Oh, yeah. Could you imagine if they'd lost? That's just a crappy way to end your weekend and have to go through all that emotional roller coaster and, and sit up with a with an L to take it. But the L did not happen. The Patriots beat the Chiefs in an absolutely wild, wild game, which we will get to in a little bit. But first, I think I want to go around the league and talk about the week that was in the NFL, particularly in the AFC East, Rich. This week didn't really shake out in New England's favor in terms of record within the division the Dolphins beat the Bears in overtime. The Jets beat the Colts. The Bills lost because the Bills stink. <clears throat> but <laughs> the Dolphins are currently tied to the Patriots at 4-2. and two. The Jets are at 500. Is the AFC East good? Well, okay. I think the demise and the quality of the AFC East has always been overblown by everyone else. You know, if you remove the Patriots from the division, th- this – AFC East, you know what? They they would send a few more teams to the playoffs every now and then because when you face New England, you're handing them at least two losses every year. And as a result of it, they're they're dropping down. They're dropping down the standings. If they were able to win at least one more, maybe they'd at least make the postseason. So looking at the AFC East over time, they're not the, the bunch of cupcakes that everyone has liked to say when they say New England has had a cakewalk to the postseason. That said... I don't think that the Dolphins are as good as their 4-2 record says, and I am still not convinced that the Jets are as good as their 3-3 three three record says. So while they are within spitting distance of the Patriots, they're both lucky to be where they are, not saying that the Patriots aren't, and I just don't think that what they're both doing right now is sustainable for the rest of the year. No, I agree with that. On the plus side, even though you want the Dolphins to lose, because as Bill Belichick always says, win the division first, that's your priority. The Bears did give the Patriots a 2019 third-round pick. So every Bears loss increases the the value of that pick. So good for the Dolphins and Brock Osweiler. But it would have been nice to have the Patriots sitting at 4-2 and two with the rest of the league – the rest of the division, excuse me, at 3 or 3 or under. Just didn't happen. I guess of the AFC East games we saw, Rich, Bears-Dolphins, Jets-Colts, and Bills-Texans, which game surprised you the most, and which AFC East team are you probably more scared of right now? Um, if scared is the right word to use. Yeah, right? I mean, all three of them are surprising in their own ways, and all three of them are scary in their own ways, right? Where the Dolphins are surprising because they beat the Bears clearly, and they did it with Brock Osweiler at quarterback. That's surprising and scary. I mean, right? It's Brock Osweiler. He's back. He seems to always surface at the worst possible time, and he he seems to always have a way to 
needle the Patriots in one way or another. The Jets put up 42 points. They seem to have an offense that they haven't had in previous years. I mean, they're doing against the Colts, so I don't know. Patriots did the same thing, so you can't really take it away from the Jets. And I don't think the Jets are a great team, but they've done enough, right? They've done enough to stay in contention. They're, they're going step for step, and Sam Darnold seems to get better every single week. So maybe they have a franchise quarterback. That could be scary. And then for the Bills, uh, both surprising and scary is the performance of Nathan Peterman. Uh, surprising <laughs> that he's still asked to lead that offense, and scary is how he produces when he's on the field. He's averaging an interception, and I don't think I'm exaggerating, really, like once every eight passes. It's unbelievable. I think his interception rate's in the double digits. Can you? That's just mind-boggling that he continues to go out there. They brought in Derek Anderson. I feel bad for the guy because it's just – it, I don't know, the Peter Principle at effect right here, he's in over his head every single time he's on the field. You reach a point where you're like, you know what? I kind of want him to get a lucky break, right? Like, it can't be this bad for him forever. You, something has to turn. You'd think so, but here we find ourselves. It's been a season and a half or, or so of Peterman, and at this point, you just got to wonder if he's ever going to be able to to overcome the jitters that he has and with each interception he throws especially a game ceiling pick six with every interception he throws it only gets worse for him it just makes us that much more grateful for Tom Brady in my opinion we could have so easily been the Buffalo Bills with just quarterback carousel for decades but we're set at quarterback and we'll be for the foreseeable future uh, an amazing game between the Chiefs and Patriots we'll get to in just a minute a couple more games on a breakdown for you with you Rich um, Jaguars Cowboys the Jaguars beat the Patriots pretty handily in week two and haven't really done much since. They've lost 40 to 7, this vaunted Jaguars defense, and the Cowboys aren't that good. Is it a scenario here, you think, where the Jaguars got so amped up for that Patriots game, they played their minds out, and now they're still kind of reeling from that aftershock? I think I have to think that. You know, I think you look back to the Denver Broncos in 2015 when they had that all-world all defense, and then it kind of comes crashing down a little bit afterwards. We could be experiencing that because the Jaguars last year were playing at such a ridiculously high level, and they played very well against the Patriots here, don't get me wrong. But is it sustainable? Are they going to be able to continue to do that week in, week out, if Blake Bortles continues to be just a wet noodle out there, which he seems to be, except for against the Patriots, which is just mind-boggling as well? I don't think it's sustainable. And at this point in time, they are in third place in a very, very bad AFC South. So at the end of the day, Jaguars should probably still make the postseason because they're tied with the Titans and the, the Texans at, right now with three and three records. But every team in the AFC South has a negative point differential. Jaguars are potentially the best of the group. but So I'm not counting them out yet, but... I just I don't know if I fear them as much as I did even back in week two. No, it seems like the AFC South is a race for the four seed. Someone's going to win that division because somebody has to. I don't think the Jaguars are as bad as advertised in the past couple of weeks. At least they'll turn it around, and they may be a little bit like the Steelers in that they play up and down to their competition, and they can't have any consistency. Blake Bortles is an efficient quarterback, not a great quarterback. I know their running games have been banged up a little bit. They haven't had everyone healthy, but still, you don't lose 40-7 to to the Cowboys. That's just a remarkable, remarkable 
loss. But the AFC South is what it is. The AFC North also is what it is, Rich. Steelers, Bengals, wild finish in Pittsburgh, or in Cincinnati, I believe it was, 28-21. Antonio Brown, 10 seconds left, and the Ravens absolutely blanked. The Titans, 21 to nothing. Earliest, I guess we're almost at the halfway point of the season, which is crazy to think about. This is a very hard division to get my mind around, Rich. We have the Bengals, who are leading it, but they just lost to the Steelers. The Ravens are kind of up and down. I feel like this is to be the three seed. Whoever wins this division with one of these other teams making the wild cards, that's usually the way it goes. What are your early thoughts on this division at this point in the season? I love the idea of the rocks, paper, scissors game taking place in the AFC North. It seems like it's been going on for maybe the past five, ten years where the Steelers are always good to beat the Bengals, the Bengals are always good to beat the Ravens, and the Ravens are always good to beat the Steelers. And so round and round they go. It likely depends on who, what other teams they have to face will determine who wins the division. But as you said, uh, it's a it's a dogfight right now. You have both the Ravens and the Bengals at 4-2. and two. The Steelers are 3-2-1. So this is anyone's division. I don't want to see the Steelers in the postseason. I don't want to see the Ravens in the postseason. So I'm pulling for the Bengals to to pull it out with Marvin Lewis, Andy Dalton. I don't know if that would come back to, to bite me because A.J. Green is a great wide receiver, so is Tyler Boyd, and they have a very, very productive defense with Geno Atkins being one of the best interior pass rushers in the entire league. So the Bengals, they're, they're a good team, right? The Bengals are a good team. All of them are very, very well-rounded, and I know Ben Roethlisberger has, has had his ups and downs, but for my money, of those three teams, the Steelers still have the most potent offense, and I don't want to see the Patriots go into a shootout with the Steelers like we just saw with the Patriots go against with the Chiefs. No, I mean, the shootouts are, are great for fantasy stats and ratings and the casual fan, but for people like us, Rich, it's an absolute heart attack in the bottle. That was a pretty comfortable game actually a pretty comfortable first half Patriots Chiefs they looked good the defense could not stop anything the Patriots are doing they were holding Mahomes and company to field goals they fooled him with a lot of different defensive looks had a couple of picks on him took a nice comfortable lead into halftime and then it all kind of just fell apart be it to adjustments or miscommunications or failure to collect the guys crossing in the middle whatever it was they came storming back the Patriots needed all 60 minutes to win this game Besides utter shock, heart attack, and relief, what were your overall thoughts on this game, Rich? I mean, it's – the fact for me is that this defense seems to just not be able to get it together against teams that can hit home runs, which is one big difference between this Patriots defense from this year versus what we saw them in 2016 and the years before. And I have a huge thought on why. And what has happened over the past two years is that the Patriots have been vulnerable to these big plays. We saw it against the Chiefs both games. We saw it against the Eagles in the postseason. The Patriots have been giving up a lot of huge plays. And honestly, I think it's because they don't have Devin McCourty as the deep safety anymore. It's because they've been relying on Deron Harmon over the top. They need Devin McCourty to go back there because when McCourty was that deep single high safety, teams weren't going that deep against them. The Patriots in 2016 were one of the best at preventing the big plays, and they dropped the past couple of years when Harmon took on a bigger role and Devin McCourty moved up. And so for me, I'm just, I just, I just need to see some more adjustments, right? Because the Chiefs have all the excuses in the world that they had so many injuries that they were dealing with. This is your Patriots defense. Yeah, they didn't have Malcolm Brown, but all the other pieces are pretty much there. 
And you can't allow Tyreek Hill or, or Kareem Hunt to get behind your entire defense multiple times without just saying, you know what, we need to really reassess what's going on. And note that this isn't a single case scenario, right? This isn't a one-off. This isn't the only time it's happened. It's happened multiple times over the past couple of years. And it really is because Evan McCourty has been asked to play out of position for the past two seasons. That's interesting. And it makes a lot of sense. I guess my maybe counterpoint to that is they've really needed McCourty over the middle because the covers linebackers have been so weak over the past couple of seasons. These guys are giving up wheel routes, crossing patterns, tight ends have had field days, although they did a great job against Travis Kelsey, I think, but tight ends historically have done very well against this defense and covers linebacker really has been a weakness of this team, especially when Dante Hightower goes down, which kind of forced McCourty into almost like a Patrick Chung role where I agree he's not really suited and they're relying on Deron Harmon and company to, to take the top off. And that's not what he does. Deron Harmon makes game ceiling interceptions with four seconds left on the clock. That's kind of his, his MO. Uh, the good news is I feel like the Patriots kind of, Figured out, and it's the wrong way to put it, but I feel like the Patriots linebackers have figured out how to balance the pass rush, the stuffing the middle, the under zones, and the, the, the coverage of the backfield enough to maybe, as the season goes on a little bit more, to move McCourty back to the free-roaming safety that where he's good at. Is that possible at all? It could be, but honestly, I think it's just how the Patriots want to play with their defensive front. Bill Belichick said something at his press conference this morning where he was saying, you know what, when asked about how the Patriots like to play their nickel with three cornerbacks or three safeties, he says, if you're against three wide receivers, you, you put Jonathan Jones on the field, and then you'll have Devin McCourty as your deep safety and Patrick Chung in there against the tight ends. If you have a team goes out there with two tight ends, one of those safeties is going to have to cover a tight end, and that's what they've been using with Devin McCourty and bringing Jerron Harmon over the top. And when you're the opposing team, what they've had a lot of success doing is picking it up on Devin McCourty. So it's not necessarily much to do with the linebackers so much as the opposing offensive teams have the ability to dictate what the matchups are that they're going to see. And the Patriots have to find a way to say, you know what, Devin McCourty needs to get over the top or else other teams are going to continue to only trot out two wide receivers, force Devin McCourty to cover the tight end and get a pretty favorable matchup. And I don't know what the solution is for that unless the Patriots say, Patrick Chung, you get a tight end. Maybe you can flip Deron Harmon and Devin McCourty's role. But honestly, uh, maybe Eric Rowe could be the, the possible solution in there where he can come in and play that star position that Devin McCourty has had to cover uh, with the tight ends. And Eric Rowe gets some more time because he is better in coverage than Devin McCourty at this point. Do you think it might also be something to do with the deliberate decision over the past couple of weeks with Andrew Luck and Patrick Mahomes not to rush the passer as much, to play more contained, try and keep a guy in the pocket, not allow him to roll out? Both of those big home runs, the Tyreek Hill and the uh, Kareem Hunt plays, came when Mahomes is rolling out to his right, bought some more time and hit the guy down the field. The Hunt one was much more inexcusable, in my opinion. That was a total miscommunication between those McCourty twins. I thought you were supposed to have the kind of telekinesis if you're a twin. I know, right? Obviously not in that situation. I think McCourty, uh, Jason McCourty thought Dev McCourty was kind of taking the over the top, and he sat in the middle zone, and Hunt just got behind him, and that was the end of it. The Hill play, look, he was a, it was a long play. It was kind of a broken play. He's just too fast. You can't cover him forever. The real problem was there's nobody behind him, and they, and they, they took a too big a risk, and it didn't really pay well. 
Do you think an increased pass rush where you're getting more creative with your upfront schemes, sending a little more linebacker blitzes, making the quarterback release the ball a little more, is a better solution than trying to get McCourty to do too much? Because I feel like asking him to do all that and get back where he is and cover the tight ends, and that just seems like a lot of responsibility placed on his shoulders. And if the Patriots could do a little better job rushing the passer, get some sacks under him, he wouldn't have to do that. Yeah, that's a good point because the Patriots haven't done that great of a job up front at containing quarterbacks in the pocket. I mean, they did it for a little bit, but as you said, Patrick Mahomes had a few of the bigger plays. Would that help Devin McCourty? Probably, because if Patrick Mahomes was forced to stay inside the pocket, we already saw that when he had pressure in his face, he was a little bit more inaccurate. I mean, that's just kind of standard for all quarterbacks. So yeah, I, I would have liked to see it, but I think before the pressure comes, they have to do better at keeping the quarterback in the pocket because you can bring all the pressure you want. These quarterbacks are mobile enough that they can evade it, buy some time, and it's really the scramble plays that seem to hurt the Patriots year after year after year. No, it is. It's, it drives you nuts because you see it, and you see this sack or this tackle for a loss about to happen, and then he gets away with it, and he starts rolling right, and you're like, oh, no, here comes something. And then there's a linebacker in the flat, and he's got to leave his man to commit to the pass rush, and he lobs it over his head, and it's 16, 17-yard gain. It's happening every single year. I had a theory back in 2010 or so when the Patriots defense was just terrible, and I don't think it's really true. I, I've, I've since backtracked on that theory, but if you look at the way the NFL is structured right now, it is getting harder and harder to play defense by the week, it seems. The rules are so in favor of the offense. They're so in favor of the quarterbacks. It's a very different game than the one that Bill Belichick grew up playing. And my thought at one point was like, maybe Bill Belichick doesn't really know how to build and play defense in a league specifically designed to generate a lot of points. That hard-hitting Lawrence Taylor Giants defense would never fly in 2016, 2017, 2018. And he's having a hard time kind of adjusting to that. And that might be why these big plays are happening. Just a theory I had. Yeah, and there's nothing more representative than that than the linebackers that the Patriots have, where so many of the rising stars at linebacker around the league, whether it's Telvin Smith of the Jaguars, Deion Jones of the Falcons, they're getting smaller and they're getting faster. You're looking at linebackers that are around 230 pounds or so versus what the Patriots trot out where they're 250 to 260 pounds with Hightower, Van Noy, even Bentley. They're all very, very big big players. Landon Roberts is in that mix at that size. And where these players are good is against the run, and that's what Patri uh, Bill Belichick's strategy is, is make sure you stop the run, because then you should be able to set up more and more you know, long distances on third down if you can limit their rushing attack. But what we're seeing more and more of with the, the run play option, or teams just saying, you know what, we're just going to throw the ball, we're going to spread it out and throw it, is that you need to have linebackers that can cover because the Achilles heel of the Patriots defense has been covering running backs with their linebackers and the Patriots haven't made any of those changes at all. Any of the, I think it's something that has to happen. And so maybe it's not that the defense has passed Bill Belichick by. It's just that one specific positional group that Belichick always has. That is the most important for the viability of this Patriots defense is that linebacker position and they really need to find a jack of all trades who can do it at a high level whether it's cover or stop the run or even blitz at times that jamie collins-esque type of player that they haven't had and it's something that they sorely miss how about this though rich i mean it's the kansas city chiefs that offense is absurd Mahomes is legit they're so creative they're so explosive they can do things so many different ways i feel like Based on this podcast thus far, if you didn't watch the game, 
you think the Patriots lost yesterday. They didn't. They won. They got enough to get – they made enough plays to get it done. And it might be that we're being overly harsh because a team like the Chiefs, they're going to score points. They just are. You can't stop all of them. And if you take away basically those those three – there are three major plays. There was the, 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 the Kareem Hunt. There was a Tyreek Hill. And there was that 97-yard or 96-yard, whatever it was, kick return that came on the heels of a pretty inexplicable day of, of kickoffs, very weird choices made by the coaching staff. You take those three plays away, I think overall, Pat even played pretty well. Yeah, I mean, you would like to see a few more punts than one, <laughs> but they didn't do as terribly as those bottom lines say at 40 points, right? Because one of them was that huge kick return. Another one was that Tom Brady fumble that set them up on the 29-yard line. And so not all of these points go against that defense, even though you would have liked to see some more stops. They held them to field goals inside the red zone. In the first half, that proved to be the difference in the entire game. Stephon Gilmore was lights out. He eliminated Sammy Watkins, so give credit where credit's due. It's just that, as you said, those were the big plays to Tyreek Hill and to Kareem Hunt. And Kareem Hunt has had back-to-back ridiculous games against the Patriots. And so I guess while you can't say that the defense was great, clearly 40 points is 40 points. Box score is what it says. It just highlighted the fact that the flaws and weaknesses in the Patriots defense are exactly what they were last year. And it opens up the door for other teams to say, you know what? The, the blueprint is out there, and if you have a defense that is better than the atrocious Chiefs defense, you should have a, you should have a fighting chance. And I'm, not, I'm saying that knowing that not every team has a Tyreek Hill, a Kareem Hunt, a Travis Kelsey, and a Sammy Watkins out there. But when you come time for the postseason, most of them will. And, and so the Patriots will have to make some adjustments, and so that's probably why there's a little bit of a damper on this 43-40 victory it's because the Patriots have to improve, and I don't know if or where those players and improvements are going to come from. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, at the end of the day, their defense has been what it is for the past couple seasons. And again, also, this, this, this disastrous defense is only good for seven consecutive AFC Championship games and three Super Bowls uh. in the past couple of years. So I think they're going to be just fine, especially with an offense that can put up 43 points, which is three more than they needed to win. So... I'm not worried about it. I think the Patriots' offense looked great last night. Sony Michelle had a career game, even though it wasn't his biggest game rushing. The way he chip-blocked, the way he was manipulating the blocking assignments and the gaps, he looked fantastic. Tom Brady was good. I think there were some throws he missed. He was a little too long in the pocket on that that fumble, but I think he was great. Gronk kind of had a coming-out party a little bit. Chris Hogan had a coming-out party a little bit. And they did not punt a single time. And so anytime a Patriots offense doesn't punt, puts up 43, you got to be pleased with that. Oh, absolutely. And you look at how these two teams are producing. We're saying how, yeah, the Chiefs offense was so unstoppable. The Chiefs offense were so unstoppable. Patriots gained 54 more yards than the Chiefs did. Patriots had 500 yards on the day. Chiefs had 446. Patriots had 31 first downs. The Chiefs had 18. And yeah, the Chiefs were hitting the home run, so they didn't have an opportunity to get so many first downs. Which just showed how methodical and relentless this Patriots offense was. And it wasn't like the the Chiefs were, you know what, Tyreek Hill and Kareem Hunt were their entire offense. Sonny Michelle, 106 yards. Rob Gronkowski, 97. Chris Hogan, 78. Edelman, White, they both had over 50 yards on the day. Even Kenyon Barnier was getting involved. Uh, Josh Gordon led the team with nine targets. 
The Patriots are spreading it around. They're getting players more and more involved. Edelman looks super comfortable. Chris Hogan finally, finally, finally really was able to step up as that number three slash four option in that offense. Josh Gordon looks more and more comfortable every single week. And so the building pieces are here on offense where, you know what, even if the defense is going to give up 40 yards per game, uh, by the end of this year, the Patriots offense could be putting up 60. So maybe we're going to be all set. No, totally. I mean, even even Cordell Patterson is, is starting to be the receiver we thought he'd be. You know, he's not going to be your every down guy. I think earlier in the year they were relying on him too much because they were so banged up at receiver. As a gadget guy, as a guy who can run the jet sweep or do the quick screens, he's a great addition to the team. You just look at this offense. You look at how they're doing. You look at what they're capable of. I absolutely love the one-two punch of James White and Sony Michelle. That is such a dangerous combination because one thing we actually haven't seen yet out of Sony Michelle is he's a pretty good pass-catching back. He's been really the primary between-the-tackles guy, which is great because James White's definitely your change-of-pace guy. But Sony Michelle as a passing threat, I think, will come with time. Tom Brady's still leading him a little too much. A lot of the passes go into the dirt intended his way. And a couple times of those Josh Gordon catches, like there was one time in the end zone, I believe, Gordon didn't sit in the hole in the zone, and Brady threw it a little behind him. He didn't come back on one of the passes. That's going to come. Edelman's only getting more and more confident, and... Gronkowski has been a kind of quiet, quiet season for him so far, but when the chips are down, when you need to make a big play, he makes it, and I just think about all the different ways this Patriots offense can beat you, and regardless of how bad or good a defense is, I think there's very few people better than Tom Brady, Josh McDaniels, it's finding holes in any defense, and just the skill sets of various receivers and backs allows the team to match up so well against pretty much anybody in the AFC. Oh, it's so true. And you just see how all of these offensive skill pieces feed into one another. And your base offense is going to be Julian Edelman, Chris Hogan, and Josh Gordon at receiver, Rob Gronkowski at tight end, and then Michelle or uh, James White in the backfield. How can you stop that, right? That That's something out of Madden. And honestly, like comparing the Patriots offense right now, to what was going on in the first three weeks of the season before Josh Gordon was involved, before Julian Elman returned. It's night and day. I mean, there are so many more opportunities out there for the Patriots receivers. Now that, A, Julian Edelman is available in the slot, he's available for those quick passes that just Tom Brady didn't have beforehand. That's why they had to rely so heavily on the deep ball. And that allows Chris Hogan to be more productive, Rob Gronkowski to be more productive, and Josh Gordon. They all get to see more favorable coverage just because the talent's so much better. And it trickles down as well because so long as these receivers are so dangerous... Teams can't stack the box against Sony Michelle. What teams could do last year against uh, LeGarrette Blunt, or sorry, not last year against LeGarrette Blunt, two years ago against LeGarrette Blunt, last year against Deion Lewis, is that they were knew that they could stack the box a little bit because, you know what, you're going to go deep. You're going to throw the deep ball, and there wasn't going to be a receiver available so readily, quickly underneath. And so you could just, you know, trust your defense to get there up front. This year, with so many players, they're going to have a little bit of a softer time, and the Patriots are going to be able to be more productive on the ground. So this offense just really builds off of each other, and the sky is honestly the limit for what they're able to do. 
Rich, what do you think about Philip Dorsett in this kind of new offensive scheme? He was a ghost yesterday. He saw a very small handful of snaps, no targets. He's been a pretty important part of the offense through the first quarter of the season. Do you think he is now the fifth or sixth man in the depth chart with the rise of Josh Gordon and the return of Chris Hogan to form? Or was last night's game more of a kind of aberration, not kind of game plan specific, and Doris has still was a very big part of this offense? Yeah, well, so a big part of the game plan is that they wanted to get rid of the ball quickly. So whether that was throwing the ball to James White in the flat or giving it to Edelman, Hogan, I mean, even Josh Gordon, what the Patriots wanted to do was avoid D Ford, avoid Chris Jones, and avoid Allen Bailey up the middle and get the ball out because the only strength of the Chiefs' defense is their defensive line. And so by getting the ball out quickly, you negate that and you move it down. And as a result, Philip Dorsett's been, I know he's been more of a do-everything receiver this year, but he's at his best as a deep threat. And there just really wasn't a role for that in the, the game plan against the Chiefs until later on when they had like the two-minute drill and stuff. So that was more of a, a game plan thing for the fact that I think he only had like three snaps on the day. Patterson had six. But I don't know if that's a long-term indication of how he'll be used. When I did my breakdown and analysis of how the wide receivers were going to be affected by the return of Julian Edelman, there was going to be a very clear trickle-down effect where Chris Hogan was going to have the same amount of time, but he would slide back to his typical role uh, with Edelman on the field, and that meant that the other gadget players, so whether that's Cordero Patterson or Philip Dorsett, they were going to lose time. And so they were already facing reduced time. I think that Dorsett should get more moving forward. I don't expect him to really exceed 20 snaps per game. And he'll just be there as injury insurance in case, you know, Chris Hogan or Julian Edelman, someone suffers another injury, Dorsett will be there ready to go. I think I know the answer to this question already, but I'll ask you anyway, Rich. Do you think this Patriots team of 2018 will be run heavy, pass heavy, or is that a stupid question because they can do either one so well they can adjust based on the defense they're seeing? Oh, um, well, I think you do know the answer on that one. It is whatever makes the most sense, yep. right? That's the that's the calling card of the Bill Belichick Patriots. Josh McDaniels is they're a game plan offense. They're also a game plan defense, but specifically on offense, they will do whatever makes the most sense based off of their opponent. Chiefs, as we said, they had a really good uh, pass-rushing defensive line, but they don't have a good run defense, so they ran the ball, and then they threw those quick passes. When they play the Chicago Bears next week, they got Khalil Mack, so they got a really good pass rusher. They have a great defensive line. Akeem Hicks is a force up the middle. Everyone should really remember him. They got some good linebackers. They have a good secondary. Uh, I don't know what the Patriots game plan will be. I'll need to do a little bit more research before throwing it out there, but I would expect that the mix on the Patriots offense against the chiefs will be slightly different than what we see next week against the bears. Most likely, especially really big injury to monitor this week is Marcus Cannon who left with a concussion or concussion like symptoms did not return. Like Adrian Waddle, like Adrian waddled his way back onto the field and played like it. He is not a solid option at right tackle. He's fine. I don't want to say he's a bad right tackle, but he's going up against Khalil Mack most likely coming Sunday, and that's a matchup nightmare, especially off the edge. That means Rob Gronkowski staying in a lot more. Maybe Dwayne Allen has a much bigger day trying to block him. That's a really big injury situation to monitor. Yeah, I mean, the Bears are, are an interesting team. You know, They looked so good out of the box. They played so well that Khalil Mack trade kind of shook up the entire landscape of the NFC. And then they've kind of been very inconsistent. Mr. Binsky is completing a lot of passes, but 
they're giving plays up, they're fumbling, they're not getting finishing games where they should. And granted, it's on the road. You always know different different situations with road versus home. But I'm not quite sure what to make of this Bears team right now, Rich. I really don't know. Yeah, and they are very up and down, as you said. They lost to the Dolphins, to Brock Osweiler of all quarterbacks, coming out of a bye week. So that's not great. Uh, but they beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers 48 to 10 right before the the bye week. I mean, they could very easily be 5-0 and right now. They lost by one point to the Packers in the season opener, and they lost in overtime to the Dolphins. So they are a talented team. They force a lot of turnovers. They run the ball very, very well. They're very conservative or protective with the football while they're on offense. I mean, it's going to be difficult. They have Matt Nagy as head coach who comes from that Andy Reid's tree. So what the Patriots saw against the Chiefs will be pretty similar to what the Bears will trot out on offense. And they have some dynamic players out there where I expect Tyreek Cohen, their running back, to see a lot of similar plays to what Tyreek Hill did, where he's going to be the speedster. He's just a real force out there. They're going to challenge the Patriots linebackers with Tariq Cohen. Jordan Howard's a solid runner in between the tackles. Taylor Gabriel out of the slot. Patriots fans might remember him from Super Bowl 51 against the Falcons. Allen Robinson is a great outside wide receiver, formerly of the Jacksonville Jaguars. And Trey Burton is a productive tight end. People should remember him from last year with uh, with the Philadelphia Eagles. He was the one that threw the touchdown to, to Nick Foles. Um, so there is some talent on offense. This is just a very balanced Bears team. And so the Patriots should have their hands full, but... All things considered, uh, they got some pretty good practice playing the Chiefs last week. That should really set them up for some success this week. I agree with that. Uh, another thing I'm maybe possibly concerned about is the fact that the Patriots in 2018 are 4-0 at home and 0-2 on the road. Ooh. I'm thinking back to that disastrous 2019 where they went 10-6, and but the two road games they won was at Buffalo and then in London against Tampa Bay. They had no really true legitimate road wins. Are you worried at all about the Patriots on the road 2018, or are those first two kind of games they were still in September figuring themselves out? Is there any nerves about there? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't have any nerves. I think you just hit the nail on the head right there where you, you're playing Jacksonville. It's hot out, the hottest game of Tom Brady's career. You didn't have Julian Edelman. Of course, it's going to be a mess. And then you play your former defensive coordinator who, A, knows all of the weaknesses of your defense, every single player. And, like, he knows their brains. And then he also knows the best way to counter the Patriots' offense because he's been watching the entire time. So he knows they had the game plan. They had the, the playbook. So those were two very, very unique scenarios. I don't expect the Bears to have as much success against the Patriots as those two teams did, especially Edelman's here. He wasn't available in those games. Same with Josh Gordon. Sonny Michelle wasn't a factor in those games. This is a brand-new Patriots team. It's entirely different. So uh, I, I expect the Patriots to be in a better situation. I'll tell you what, I'll be in a better situation, Rich, because this is a 1 p.m. game. Oh, yeah. Finally. Thank goodness. All this prime time is driving me nuts. Yeah, it's, it's been taking way too long for us to get here. It's about time. And then I believe we go right back to back to back prime time week eight, yeah, we week do. nine. <laughs> so that's just going to be brutal. I'm just not looking forward to that. But until that happens, uh, we'll, we'll have a lot more on the site, patspublic.com, breaking down Patriots versus the Bears and reviewing Patriots versus the Chiefs. Have everything that you could possibly want. Alec, do you have any final thoughts on week six of the NFL season? 
It's great to be four and two. Yesterday was a or a Sunday was a very good day to be a Boston sports fan. Big win for the Sox, big win for the Patriots. Let's keep it rolling. Oh, absolutely. And until next time, Alec, you have a good one. See you, buddy. Later, man. I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seems Smart. It Seems Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seem smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart.